0: Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours, yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world, yours are the feet with which he walks to do good, yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world, yours are the hands, yours are the feet, Yours are the eyes. You are his body. I can't think of a time when the world needs... God's people to say, I'm in. I think this is so unbelievably relevant, and I'm glad that you're here today. When life is difficult and challenging, it's good to be with family. And so I'm glad that you took time today to come on out. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. We're glad that you are here. And now we're going to do our best to try and emotionally turn hard to the left, which is a bit of a challenge, but stick with me. So... Uh, Everybody in the room has something that they have to deal with. I have to deal with something called tinnitus. So I have this ringing in my head that never, ever stops or goes away. It means that my hearing is bad. But I want you to remember that when I say this. I do a lot of work in coffee shops. I just like the swirl of humanity kind of going around me as I ask God what He wants me to talk about on the weekend. But the implications of the fact that I'm hard of hearing and that I work in coffee shops basically means this. If you talk loud enough for me to be able to hear you in a coffee shop, I reserve the right to live tweet anything you say, or I reserve the right to use you in a message on a weekend at Christ the King Church. Because if I can hear you in a coffee shop, you're just way too loud. That's the bottom line. This past week, I overheard a conversation between two young men. I had not been paying any attention to their conversation until I heard these words come out of one of their mouths. He said, dude, girls always love it when you sing to them. <laughs> for the record, because I've talked to girls, that's wrong, okay? <laughs> that's wrong unless you're an amazing simmer, singer. And the way for you to actually establish if you're an amazing singer is you have to ask someone other than your mom... Or your tone-deaf best friend. That's just the rule, okay? So I am all of a sudden interested. I heard the other guy's response, but I can't sing. And for a second, I had hope for humanity. I just thought, this is actually moving in the right direction. Until I heard the response to the response. In which he said, don't worry if you can't sing. You can always rap. and I will beatbox for you. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you are both going to be single for a really, really, really long time. No, 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 for the love of Jesus, no, don't do that. And for the next 30 minutes, two young men that I have lovingly dubbed Leonard and Sheldon, um, some (laughs) of you will get that. Worked on a love rap together, and humanity just took steps backwards very, 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 very quickly. At the end of their time, they said, hey, we're not done. Let's meet again tomorrow. So I went back. (laughs) I can't make this stuff up. I went back because I wanted to find out if they actually rhymed a word with quantum. That's what, just saying, Okay. And after 30 minutes of listening to them again, I could not help myself, and I got involved. (laughs) And I did my best to share some wisdom as an elder of these two (laughs) so misguided young men. And for the record, there will be no singing or rapping. Instead, a heartfelt love letter will be delivered, and to whoever Aubrey is, you're welcome. All right, that's what I'm saying right now. That conversation was God's gift to me, and some of you are having an issue with my eavesdropping right now, but if you have an issue with that, you're going to have to excuse yourself this morning because we're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that we're going to involve ourselves in for the betterment of ourselves and for mankind. There's a series of events that happen in Scripture before this conversation. Jesus has a discussion about divorce that actually gets mixed reviews from the people that are listening to it. And then a group of kids shows up, and and Jesus ends up spanking a group of older kids because they try and exclude the younger kids. And then everything goes terribly wrong because a very rich young man shows up and asks Jesus a question about how he can join his movement and his mission, and the guy is completely devastated when Jesus says, actually, you're going to need to have a garage sale before you can join me. And then Jesus freaks everybody out by telling them that here's the plan for the coming month. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And when I get there, I'm going to be mocked, beaten, covered in spit, and crucified. But don't let that freak you out because three days later after I'm dead, I'm going to come back to life again. And then this conversation happens in Mark chapter 10. The Bible says this, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, listen very closely, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, It's like three-year-olds, right? We're just manufacturing a deal. So we're not going to tell you what the question is beforehand, but we want you to just agree on the front end to whatever it is that we ask. Because we've completely misplaced the fact that you're the God of the universe and you already know what's going to come out of our mouth, but that's what we're going to ask you anyway. Here's what I love. Jesus plays along. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He replied. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let me translate that for you. Jesus, don't take this wrong, but we want to be at the top of the org chart. We both would like corner offices, six weeks of vacation, and we both believe that our estimated self-worth should be around $100,000 in salary. That's exactly what we're looking for. We want status and power. If you're going to go to Jerusalem and be a king, we want to be the princes. My rough translation. Verse 38, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's saying, guys, are you sure you know what you're asking? Because I'm going to go to Jerusalem and drink the cup of God's wrath. Everything that God has ever poured himself against All sin for all time, in the past and the future. I'm actually going to take that on myself. I'm going to be baptized into death, which means I'm going down under the water of everyone's sin. I'm actually going to go to hell for your salvation. Are you sure that's what you want to do? Do you actually think you can do that? And I don't even know what to say next, but here comes the most arrogant answer in human history. Verse 39, we can, they answered. I actually think I can pull that off. I think I'm going to be able to do that. I got a great attitude and I'm just going to move in that direction. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. In this moment, Jesus is actually telling them what their future is going to be. James was martyred for his faith. John was exiled and tortured. The lesson for all of us, be careful what you ask for. Verse 40, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. We're going to come back to this, but I want you to notice it. God said no. God said no to their request, and now from last week, the small group that we talked about is going to get involved. Verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I'm always wondering, were they indignant because they thought, how rude for James and John to ask to be at the top of the orchard? chart? Were they indignant about that, or were they upset with the fact that they didn't think to ask first? Just wondering. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said... You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then it comes, four words that you should underline, highlight, whether you've got your Bible, your app, or your outline, you should circle this, you should burn it on your forehead so that you never, ever forget these four words. Jesus says in verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life is a ransom for many. Let's take the conversation apart. Let's dissect it. As we dissect the conversation, I want you to, number one, I want you to recognize the characters here because they're so important. James and John, these two brothers, they're quite a pair. Jesus gives them a nickname in Scripture. He calls them the sons of thunder. That just tells you something about their character, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if you can picture, you know, the sons of thunder being these sedate, calm, reserved young men who, who struggle with shyness from time to time. I don't think it goes with the nickname, right? And the Bible doesn't even tell us exactly why Jesus gives them this nickname. But I, I just have to picture them as guys with loud opinions, impetuous thoughts, unbridled passion. There's another section of scripture where Jesus shows up in a town. He tries to arrange accommodations and the town actually presses back against him. The locals aren't crazy to have Jesus in the area. And the sons of thunder show up and their question to Jesus is, so what do you want us to do? Pray down fire from heaven, let's just torch the whole city. That's where they go immediately. They're angry, reactionary, over the top. Another interesting thing about this little conversation is that there's actually a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 20 where it repeats exactly this conversation, but someone else is writing, so there's a little bit of a different spin. And what's fascinating to me is in exactly this conversation, but in Matthew chapter 20, the sons of thunder bring their mommy along with them. And they actually have their mommy make the appeal to Jesus to give them the sights at the top of the org chart. So you got James, John, mommy, and then they run headlong into Jesus, the serving Savior. Those are the players in this divine drama we're going to look at. Let's dig a little deeper. I want you to note the subtle manipulation here in verse 35. I mean, I already mentioned this a little bit, but now we're going to make it personal. Here they are. They show up and they say, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. We want you to agree to something before we actually ask you what we're going to ask you. Let's just understand what that is. They're making a deal with God. And everybody in the room at some point has tried to make a deal with God. Back in college, my deal kind of worked like this. Jesus, here's what I need. In order to accomplish the goals that I want, I'm going to need a little help with a perfect 4.0. That's what I'm going to need. And if you get me that 4.0, I promise that when I actually get a real job, I'm going to go out there and be a really, really, really good boy. And I won't use a dime on me ever. How about this classic deal? God, I got myself into this through my own stupid decisions. But if you get me out of it, I promise I will never, ever, ever do that again. James and John learn a hard lesson here. Here's the application for all of us. Jesus doesn't make deals. Jesus makes disciples. We get that? He doesn't make deals. He makes disciples. Followers of Jesus know that God doesn't always give us what we ask, but he always gives us what is best. That's so important to know. So if you got any deals on the table with God this morning, you may want to retract them. Let's keep moving. Let's press in deeper. Number three, I want you to note the arrogance in their answer, even after Jesus questions their motive. I mean, this is hard stuff here. Do you have any idea what you're asking, guys? I'm not going to Jerusalem to set up an earthly kingdom because my kingdom is not of this world. This is not about power or status. It's not about gaining the world and losing your soul. I'm actually going to die. In fact, if you read the context of Mark chapter 10, he said that just two verses before this conversation starts. I'm actually going to go and give my life. Do you think you can walk that road with me? And what's their arrogant answer? Yep. I think we're all good. Not exactly sure what the long-term strategy is here, but I'm pretty sure my positive attitude is going to get me through just fine." Boy, these guys overestimate themselves, don't they? No, Jesus, I think we're good. I think we're good. Just sign me up. It's fine. doesn't sound that hard. Let me tell you something. When I came out of college, actually while I was in college, and my wife can attest to this. There was one single word in the English dictionary that absolutely represented who Grant Fishbook was, and the word was arrogant, flat-out arrogant. I was that cocky, know-it-all punk who thought he could do it all and somehow forgot that there's a verse in the Bible that says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I want to share something now that I wish I knew 30 years ago. Don't do the math in your head, okay? Here's something I think we all need to learn. Most of us vastly overestimate our value to God's kingdom in the short term and vastly underestimate our value to God's kingdom in the long term. We think we've got so much to offer God right now. I mean, if Jesus needs his church to get straightened out, why doesn't he just consult with me? Because after all, i got great ideas and great potential. I mean, if he would just consult me, we could get this whole mess straightened out. Some of us actually have the arrogance to believe that's true. And we forget the fact, we lose sight of the fact that God's going to spend a lifetime with us shaping, molding, buffing off the rough edges, teaching us that it's not all about us, that we don't need to have the answer, that we don't need to be the smartest person inside of every single room. James and John are just like, we've got this, Jesus, sign us up. And Jesus like, you have any idea what's coming? Now here's the hope, so we don't get lost in their arrogance. I want you to think about this. John of the Sons of Thunder earns a different nickname in Scripture, the Apostle Jesus Loved. He's the guy that gets, he's the recipient of the final book of the Bible. And in that final book of the Bible, if you remember our series from Revelation, that's when Jesus actually shows who gets to sit at the right and the left hand of God the Father. Apparently, John learned a few things about humility. James became the first apostle to be martyred in history. He loved Jesus so much, he followed in the footsteps of his Savior. He actually got to a place where in humility he walked with Jesus, even though it cost him his own life. So there's hope for all of us, no matter how secure we may be in who we think we are. Let's keep moving. I love this next point. Take a look at number four. Note that Jesus' answer is no. Jesus, we want to be at the top of the org chart. The answer is No. What you want is not what's best for you, so the answer is no. I have a prayer journal that is beat up old. It's a relic. And when I go back through it, there are so many prayer requests I find in that prayer journal where I am so thankful God said no to my request. Anybody else had some of those? He's like, I wanted it so bad, and it seemed so right, and God said no. And now, a couple decades later, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we need to know this. Here's an application for you. The most telling sign of your maturity is how you respond to a no. When you get a no from God, because some of us, you know, let's face it, we're really good when God says yes. Our devotion goes up. Our our faith goes up when God says yes. We can even tolerate it when God says wait. But when God says no, there's something inside of us. I don't know about you. When I get a no from God, I have four responses, whining, complaining, appealing, and sulking. That's how it works in my world. And in that moment, I've got to make a decision. Do I actually trust that God knows what's best? Or do I actually think I'm smarter than the God of the universe? So the answer is no, and now God's going to pull them together. Jesus is going to pull them together and give them an MBA in leadership. Because he comes back against them and says, guys, you think that personal achievement is about status and position. You think success and greatness is measured by how high up you are on the org chart. In fact, he gives them an example. He says, there's a Gentile organization. There's a non-Jewish organization. And guys, you know how it works. The people in that organization that think they're in charge, they exercise something called positional leadership. Because they've got a title, they think everybody should respect them. Now, if there's any leadership theory people in the room, you know this. Positional leadership is the lowest form of leadership. Because a positional leader walks in the room and says, I got a badge and a rank. You better salute. And God says, actually, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. You don't get to lord it over people. You need to be under authority before you're ever in authority. That's how God's kingdom works. And then it happens. Number five, Jesus paints this new picture of leadership with these prolific, beautiful words. Not so with you. You don't get anything else this weekend. Please take this with you. Not so with you. The world only cares about the financial bottom line. Not so with you. The world has a definition of success, and it's all about climbing over top of human bodies to get to the top of the org chart. Not so with you. The world sees people as obstacles and interruptions, not so with you. The world says, it's all about you, not so with you, it's actually all about Him. The world says, the end justifies the means. You can do whatever you want to, lie on a resume, fake your taxes, it doesn't matter as long as you get to the right end, not so with you. The world says... Why are you gathering in a room this morning? You should have stayed home because you should be afraid. You should live in fear. Not so with you. God is our shield and God is our defender. Can somebody say amen? What's the point here? I think it's pretty simple. In the kingdom of Jesus... Greatness isn't about elevating yourself, it's about elevating Jesus. It's about understanding that he must become greater, and I become less. Somebody asked me the other day, Grant, what's your purpose in life? My answer, invisibility. I just want to disappear. I want to be so wrapped up in who Jesus is that people can't even see me. Because if they can see any part of me, here's what I know. It's only a matter of time until they're deeply disappointed. But if Jesus is the preeminent one, the firstborn over all creation, if he takes center stage in everything, then I believe there's actually hope. So it's not about elevating ourselves. It's about elevating Jesus. So here it comes, number six. Jesus introduces one of the divine opposites in verse 43 and 44. The divine opposites are found sprinkled throughout the Bible. They go like this. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to have to die. If you want to to truly live for Him, you're going to have to die to yourself. If you want to to be uh, resurrected, you're actually going to have to be buried pictorially in baptism. In just a couple weeks, we're doing a baptismal service. Some of you have never taken that public stand. For whatever reason, you've just allowed that to become a barrier, even though the God of the universe said, if you're going to be one of my disciples, here's a step that I want you to take. I want you to stop thinking about what your hair looks like I want you to interrupt your schedule. I want you to completely discount whether or not grandma can be there or not because it's never really going to fit inside of her schedule. And I need you to get in the tank. And I need you to go under the water so that everybody sees that person has been buried. They are dead to themselves. But we're not going to leave them under the water. We're going to bring them back up again because just like Jesus, there's a new life on the other side of death. There is resurrection power still available to people. Some of you just need to take that step because you need to live a divine opposite. If I'm going to really live, I better do some dying. If you want to be great, you have to become the servant of all. I mean, in God's kingdom, You actually have to work your way towards the bottom of the org chart. That's the goal of every single one of us. It's not flipped over. We're not aspiring to get to the top. We're actually aspiring to get to the bottom. You think, why in the world would I do that? Remember last week when the king of the universe was on his knees washing people's feet? That's the example. As low as we can possibly get. Because in due time, Those who are humble enough to get there, God says, in due time, I'll raise you up. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. What's the application? Greatness is not about status or title or wealth, not in God's kingdom. It's about service. It's about serving. And Jesus says that to his guys. And he's still saying that to his church. If you want to be great, you need to follow my example and serve. And if you're not serving, you're so missing out on a glorious opportunity to learn more about your Savior. Jesus brings this session of humility school to a close by number seven, reinforcing and restating His mission and His invitation. I love that verse. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And right away we have an, object, an objection, right? I don't have time to serve; I'm too busy. Not so with you. I actually came here this weekend that someone said someone could serve me. I need someone to look after my stuff. I've got needs. Not so with you. The King of the Universe did not come to be served. But to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the bottom line is Jesus came to serve and he calls us to the same mission. So over the last 6 weeks, for one more week before we turn the corner, <laughs> and you're talking about a turn, boy, we're going to turn into the book The Song of Solomon. I've already heard people freaking out about this. It's hilarious. I start talking about the Song of Solomon, and the entire group turns into a bunch of fifth grade boys. It's just like, oh dear, I can't believe you. (laughs) We came up with, this past weekend, we came up with like 28 categories of people that think they don't need anything from this book of Song of Solomon, and I'm going to tell all 28 categories, you all need to be here every single week. It's a love song. It's not just about sex, it's about intimacy. It's this beautiful picture, and you're like, I don't do that kind of stuff. Your whole life has been sung to a soundtrack, and we're just going to figure out what God's soundtrack of love is, and we're going to throw in a few beautiful love songs from the 80s just because it's going to be fun, all right? So if you want to come the first weekend and sing Journey with me, that'll be awesome. Okay, so just saying, all right? But for the last six weeks, we've been talking about what it means to actually step to the center of God's circle, not the Christ the King circle, not the church circle, but to step towards the core in the center. And you've heard me say this every single week, At the core of every single church is a committed group of people who love Jesus more than anything, who love God's family more than anything, who love people who are far from God more than anything, who handle their finances in a way that people could look at them and say, you must love Jesus more than anything, who gather together in biblical community because that's the way that we were wired. And this week, at the center of every church is a core of people who are committed to following in the footsteps of Jesus and serving because that's what Jesus did. He did not come to be served but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. So here's a question from our core commitments. In your outline, it's wrong, okay? If you notice in the outline, it's still from like two weeks ago when Pastor Todd talked about finances. All right? So you're going to have to update this one. But here's a question. Am I consistently serving in a CTK ministry or another ministry that's in alignment with CTK's mission and vision and values? Do I care that you serve here? No. This is not about building this little K kingdom. This is about building God's big K kingdom. So if you can find another place that's in alignment with the mission, vision, and values of Jesus, I think that's fantastic. Serve on, my family. Serve on. Another way to put that, am I in? You know, every week we've been talking about taking a step closer to the center of the circle. Some of you need to actually start a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time. It's time to to stop the pursuit and actually step into the relationship. Some of you need to step into service because you've been hanging out for a really, really, really long time, and now instead of being a consumer, it's an opportunity to be a contributor. Some of you need to own the mission of CTK and actually become an owner of that. In two weeks, some of you need to go public with your faith in Jesus. There's baptism classes after the 1115 service this morning, and you're thinking, I 1115, 1215, that means I'm going to have to give up this in order to be able to do that, but I'm just too busy. Not so with you. The sons of thunder were changed because of this conversation. And if you read your Bible, you'll always notice that James and John had had another guy that kind of hung out with them. His name was Peter. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They're always mentioned together in a three. People go, wow, that must have been Jesus' closest circle of friends. I'm like, no, those were the three biggest troublemakers. And Jesus never wanted to leave them behind because they were totally messing up his thing. So it's just always like, Peter, James, and John, you're with me. Okay, all right? Stop talking and follow. That's how it seems to go all the way through Scripture. James and John are transformed because of this conversation. That other guy was transformed too. Peter, in Scripture, is this loud, angry, opinionated fisherman. Years later, he writes a book called Peter. (laughs) You would have wanted him to be your grandpa. Because he writes to guys like me that are supposed to look after a flock of God with humility and love and service. And he writes these words. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be a shepherd of God's flock that's under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Here it comes, but eager to serve. Where'd Peter get that from? (laughs) This conversation. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, those of you that are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards each other, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And then wrapped it in that beautiful appeal for service are words that we all need to hear today because we live in Washington, because we've all shopped or gone to a movie at the Cascade Mall, because we used the I-5 corridor to go back and forth across that scene that we all saw on Friday night burned into our memory with all of the law enforcement lights flashing in the parking lot. All of us, after an appeal to serve, Jesus says this to Peter. Cast all of your anxiety on him, because He cares for you. Grant, I don't know where to put the fear. Give it to Jesus. I'm not sure if I should go out this afternoon or do the give it to Jesus. He has big shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I love the fact that God has called us to serve, but once again, He never ever asked us to do anything that He wasn't already willing to do Himself. So this weekend, as we get ready to be dismissed, we have opportunities for you to come and serve and be a part of this little expression of God's family tucked up here in the corner of the wonderful state of Washington. Too busy, Grant. Not so with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room today. I pray in Jesus' name that you would encourage their saddened hearts, replace mourning with joy, replace frustration with hope. God, I pray that we would be able to take what you've said today and all week long Live out an example that says, not so with us. God, I pray that we would be light in the dark, that we would be hope in the frustration and the grief, that we would be living, walking examples of the Son of Man who came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So God, we thank You for this opportunity. I pray for those, God, who do not know You yet. I pray that they would step towards you in relationship. I pray for those who have not been baptized yet. I pray that they would step forward in obedience. God, I pray for those who are not serving yet, and I pray that they would step forward and experience the joy of following your example. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said.